Okay, so welcome again to our study of the book of Galatians. So I'm going to begin here, uh, lesson one, introduction. Uh, we're going to look a bit at Galatians today, but mostly we're going to get some background. So that when we study the verse, or the, you know, verse by verse within the, the book, uh, we'll have a bit more context. So this may seem like a simple question. We start with the easy ones. Um, when we study a book of scripture, it's, it's usually helpful to understand who the human author was. And in this case, it's pretty simple, right? Um, uh, we see just by reading in Galatians, uh, right from the very first verse as well as uh, toward the end, that the author was Paul, the Apostle Paul. And so... Um, it's helpful to summarize Paul's uh, background, his ministry, and how the book of Galatians fits in with that history. So, as you might remember, he was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. His given name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus, that's where he was born, Tarsus is, if you see on the map there, um, I wish the Mediterranean and the Atlantic were blue. It would be easier to kind of pick things out. But if you can make out the, the lands there, Tarsus was in the province of Cilicia, uh, which is on the Mediterranean coast of what is now Turkey. And so... Um, that plays into his his uh, later history, uh, as we'll see, as well. So he says in Acts twenty three, um, verse three, says, "I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city." And he's speaking uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, educated under Gamaliel, who was. Um, a very prominent, well-known um, uh, Pharisee, teacher of Pharisees. So he was discipled even under Gamaliel. Strictly, according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. So uh, even in his, his uh, defense, when he was um, charged and so on, uh, he appealed to his his uh, background and his um, that you know these were Jews who were accusing him. And he says, "Wait a minute, guys! I'm one of you." <laughs> um, so he uh, also mentioned in Acts 21, and later in Acts 22, it's mentioned that uh, he was born a Roman citizen. And that featured quite significantly in his, the way he was handled by the, the Romans um, when he was accused by the Jews. So, uh, mentioned his early career it was as a Pharisee. What was a Pharisee? It was a... Uh, 
a section of Judaism at that time that was very devoutly um, trying to keep the entire law very religiously, that's why they call it religiously, right? Um, but also other uh, traditions that developed over the years in order to presumably help people to um, obey the law. And not just the letter of the law, but what they understood to be the spirit of the law. Well, they missed it a bit. Um, as you know, Jesus interacted with the Pharisees a lot. And what was his big beef with the Pharisees? Anybody remember? Hypocrisy. Yeah. So they were all about doing things superficially, but what was the problem? It wasn't in the heart, right? So Jesus made a big, a big point of that, and his teaching on that actually helps us a lot. Paul, of course, was like your typical Pharisee. He didn't get it. He was all about keeping the letter of the law and even the traditions. And um, actually, we, we saw uh, a few weeks ago in uh, Pastor Gabe's sermon from the very beginning of Philippians 3 that, you know, from a human point of view, he, he had a lot to brag about, essentially. And... Um, uh, people, Jews anyway, couldn't couldn't point to anything in his life that was a violation of the law. Now he would later come to realize that uh, his heart was a mess, <laughs> but um, externally, which was all about what it was with the Pharisees, uh, it's not that they weren't necessarily sincere. Some of them probably were but they just missed the point that it, God was looking at the heart, not the externals. Well, that was, his, that was his lifeblood. That was his whole experience, and he was caught up in that. And um, as I mentioned, he was kind of a rising star um, among uh, the Pharisees and the Jews generally. Um, and by his own admission, and we see examples in Acts uh, 22, he was very zealous for um, everything that the Pharisees stood for, the law, traditions, and so on. To the point that, that drove him to being a persecutor of the early Christians. And uh, what was his reasoning there? Well, that they were teaching things in violation of the law, and... Uh, very critically about the nature of salvation. In his mind, salvation was by keeping the law, uh, and they were teaching something contrary to that. And so he said, that's got to be stamped out. And he thought he was doing God a favor. But uh, what happened? God intervened. Jesus appeared to him, right, um, on the road to Damascus when he was going from Jerusalem to Damascus to snuff out the, the believers there. Uh, and he uh, was, was uh, well, let me go ahead and read here. Um, 
from Acts 9. As he was traveling, it happened that uh, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Can you imagine what he was thinking at that point? Me? Who's talking to me, right? (laughs) But he saw actually this bright vision of Christ. He said, who are you, Lord? He knew it must have been some kind of manifestation of God. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. So... Christ didn't just lay everything out to him immediately. There needed to be some obedience and um, following of, of instructions and actually the involvement of other people. But he said, time out, right? Um, let's, we're going to intervene here and put an end to your original purpose for going to Damascus and switch it around to God's purpose. Um, Later, um, God revealed to Ananias, um, go. Ananias was, um, this by the way is the second Ananias we encounter in the book of Acts, not the first one who dropped dead. (laughs) This is the second one, different guy, popular name I guess. Um, But the Lord told him to go find Saul, such such a place, and um, 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 what's the first thing in Ananias' mind when God says, go find Ananias, go find Saul, and, and such and such? His first thought was, are you kidding? He's coming here to, to persecute us, and, and so on. So Jesus... Um, said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So that was enough to convince Ananias that um, God is at work here, and this is something amazing. Can you imagine being there at that point? (laughs) Um, uh, but God revealed to Ananias and then later to Paul himself that uh, what God had in mind here was um, a very specific mission for Paul and that it would involve a lot of suffering and, uh, and yet it was going to be an outreach to not just the Jews, but to Gentiles and rulers and, and so on. So, um, and you remember that the the uh, the original appearance of Christ to him on the road to Damascus resulted in his eyes being temporarily blinded, and Ananias went and uh, prayed over him and. Um, uh, restored his sight. There's some speculation that there may have been some residual problems because in later letters he talks about 
how his eyesight is not not um, uh, what it used to be. <laughs> but whether they're connected or not, I don't know. Okay, so on page seven, his initial ministry. Just tracking through here the account in in Acts. Uh, while he was still in Damascus, he, he was there for a few more days, he proclaimed Christ immediately. And can you imagine that? Not only the, the Jews who had heard enough of his reputation, but the, the believers there who um, knew that he had been coming there to snuff them out, or at least to persecute them. Here he's preaching the gospel now himself, and this is just a miracle of God. Right, and um, the Jews may have been scratching their heads, but the believers were, were probably also scratching their heads. <laughs> but we're seeing that wow, God is really at work here. Eventually, they would see that. Um, what it says in Acts nine is that uh, he was growing in strength and confounding the Jews because he understood the law and he could teach from the law, although he wasn't. He wasn't well developed at this point in switching his thinking and understanding what the law was really about. But very early it was clear to him that everything he had been teaching was wrong and uh, the Old Testament actually points to Christ. And so he he was saying, he's proving that uh, this Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And so very early in his in his um, Christian life, he was very convinced and very um, convincing that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Then it says, after many days, uh, he fled from Damascus because uh, there are a lot who, uh, particularly the Jews, who wanted to uh, persecute him now that he's one of the, the Christians. Uh, yeah, question. Do we have any ideas, um, idea how old he was at, at this time? How old he was? Yeah, Paul. I don't know that we know for sure. Um, but do we know how old he was when he died? There's probably, well, I'm not sure even how old he was when he died. Okay. Uh, there's probably some historical traditions that might put a little bit of a guesswork on that. But okay. uh, he would have... I'm guessing been late 20s, early maybe late 20s, early 30s, something like that. That's just a guess. Okay. Still fairly young, but also very well trained and very passionate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being passionate in one direction and going 180 degrees passionate is quite a, in fact we call it, right, a Damascus Road experience. Mm-hmm. That's what that sort of is. But then and we'll see this more as we get into Galatians. Um, In chapter 1, verse 11, he says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Meaning, it's just not a, a human tradition, and he didn't hear it from man. For he says, I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it by other men. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's, he's getting it, as we would say, right from the horse's mouth, right? Uh, he's, he's passing on what he's heard directly from Christ. 
but then later in, in chapter 1, he says, But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. What he did immediately was to start preaching. <laughs> um, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia. Now, don't think Saudi Arabia, okay? <laughs> Arabia at that time was the name given to this large, almost desert area um, between Israel and the Fertile Crescent. And so everything um, that includes now the Arabian Peninsula, but even far north of that, uh, was this large area, kind of desertish, um, and people would have tended to avoid that area that which they would travel around the the um, you know to, to get from say uh, uh, the Fertile Crescent, you know the Babylon area and and so on. Uh, they would follow the rivers, to follow the water, right? Come up north and then down through Israel, not far from the Mediterranean. And so they, they would travel in these caravans, just complete, almost entirely um, avoiding this desert area, which he's referring to here as Arabia, and that's, that's how they referred to it. Um, and so he was there, we don't know where in that area he was, but he went directly from uh, Damascus, to Arabia, and then uh, it says, picking up in verse 17, and then he returned once more to Damascus. Um, then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas. Who's that? Peter. Peter. Cephas means rock. Right? Um, and stayed with him 15 days, but I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Um, what happened in Arabia? He doesn't say specifically here, but apparently it was uh, God's opportunity to... Um, train him. He probably spent a fair amount of time in the scriptures during that time. And, but mostly I think God was just reorganizing his thinking away from all that he had been trained in beforehand in Phariseeism and seeing how all the Old Testament scriptures pointed to Christ um, much like after his resurrection, um, the, the Gospels tell us that Jesus um, explained how all the, the law, the prophets, and the other writings in the Old Testament pointed to him, and how everything was fulfilling, everything that happened to Christ was fulfilling all of that. And so it was those kind of things that Paul was coming to grips with himself, uh, apparently, personally, with... with um, uh, 
Christ as his tutor at this point, but certainly the scriptures. Yeah, Doug. And he doesn't mention much here about you know what went on there, but he's the context is that he's getting his message directly from God rather than from tradition or human logic and, and that kind of thing. So that must have been involved, um, getting his message directly from God. Okay, so he went back to Damascus, and then uh, he says it was only three years later that he went up to Jerusalem. And by that point, he was pretty well established in his theology and his, his instructions from the Lord. Um, and so we pick up at the end of Acts 9, his um, early ministry. So it was pretty logical that the, the believers, particularly in Jerusalem, who were aware of his reputation as a Pharisee, it's pretty logical that they would be skeptical that this guy was legit now. And so Barnabas actually vouched for Paul's conversion among the Christian leaders in Jerusalem. And um, Paul himself spoke out boldly um, to anyone who would listen in Jerusalem. And that in and of itself probably was enough to convince the Christians that this guy's legit. Because who would do that if they weren't convinced that Christ was Lord God? Um, but, as you might expect, he got the same kind of response there that he got in Damascus from the Jews. And so, uh, e even threats of death. And so the believers there, who by this time were understanding that he was legit, uh, protected him, sent him away, and... Um, sending him back home where he came from, <laughs> Tarsus, uh, where um, he wouldn't have as, as many Jews or as many agitated Jews as were present in, um, in Jerusalem. But I think also um, they were protecting the church, the very young church in Jerusalem, uh, the last thing they needed was a lightning rod in their midst to um, um, maybe jeopardize other people's safety. So they figured it was both for his good and maybe for the, the new church in Jerusalem that he uh, be sent back home. And he was there um, for quite a while. I'm on page 7 here, item 9C. While Paul was in Tarsus, God brought the first large group of Gentiles to repentance and faith in Christ. Um, not in Tarsus, but um, in Israel. And this is when, you know, we had uh, Peter being sent to Cornelius and his house and so on. Um, and... Um, that's significant because up until that point, the believers, all the believers, including Peter, had the presumption that in order to become a believer in Christ, you had to be a Jew. 
or become a Jew. And that would have, I think we probably would have had that same presumption if we had grown up with that. Um, and Christ was obviously the promised Messiah. Uh, but they hadn't caught that he was for everybody. And it took a little bit of time. You remember from the book of Acts. And, and, and um, Peter had that vision, you know, and God laid down this sheet with all these unclean animals. And he told Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Said, no way, Lord, no way. I haven't touched any of those unclean animals. And he had to do that, what, three times, I think. And then uh, this messenger came from Cornelius who was a Gentile, obviously. He was a, 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 Rome, a leader of a hundred soldiers. Um, and Peter normally wouldn't have gone, but because God had already given him this vision. Um, and so Peter was actually, uh, certainly, I think, pleased, but surprised that um, God would be saving Gentiles directly without them becoming Jews first. And he saw it with his own eyes, with Cornelius and his family. And God had prepared him for that very, that very trip. Um, and so all this was happening back in Israel while Paul was in, was in uh, Tarsus. Um, and so more and more Gentiles were were being saved, and um, both Jews and Gentiles, I guess. And um, the church was established at a, a city in Syria called Antioch. There's not a whole lot significant about Antioch in Syria, uh, possibly except that that was the first place where uh, followers of Christ were called Christians. Uh, which I guess literally means Christ followers or people who are like Christ. Um, initially, I think it was meant to be a derogatory term, but um, it fits, right? So all of that was happening um, without Paul. Paul was, was and, and by God's instruction even, meant to be a primary um, ambassador to the Gentiles, and yet God was already bringing Gentiles in the fold and kind of expanding the, the, um, the thinking of the Jewish Christians so that they were thinking, okay, the gospel is for everyone, not just for Jews. Yeah, I'm sure it was hard, hard to get their mind around that very dramatic change from a persecutor of the church to a proclaimer of Christ, right? And a very powerful one. Um, but I think it was even harder for them to get their mind around um, the fact that the gospel is for everybody, not just for the Jews. That took some getting used to, for sure. So letter D there, more Jews and Gentiles were saved as the gospel spread. A church was established at Antioch, uh, that's just north of Israel, consisting of both Jews and Gentiles. So that was um, a very unique 
thing. As far as we know, for the most part, the church in Jerusalem was all Jews at this point. Um, but when Cornelius and his family and others became Christians, um, more of these churches um, were a mix of both Jews and Gentiles, which is a good thing. Anyway, uh, around that time, uh, the church leaders in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to help them in the ministry. It seemed to be uh, mushrooming and, and expanding in Antioch. And so Barnabas went up there to help them. And when he got there, he saw the great need and what was his first thought? Let me call Paul. He's stuck over there in Tarsus. Let's put him to work here. And um, uh, it just seemed like a good fit. And indeed, it was. So, in letter E there, uh, continuing in, in Acts 11, Barnabas and Paul took an offering from that church in Antioch to the Christians in Judea, which is mostly around Jerusalem, because they were suffering a famine. And so they wanted to care for their fellow believers. The famine wasn't really affecting them up north. And so uh, Barnabas and Paul took that. And while they were there, um, the apostle James was martyred. Now this James was the brother of John, the first... um, of the apostles to die. And Peter was arrested, but then miraculously freed. You remember that story? And um, so right after that, Barnabas and Paul returned to Antioch, taking with them John Mark, who we refer to today as Mark. He wrote the the human author of the book of Mark. Um, Later in his life, he was more directly uh, discipled by Peter, and so much of the the um, content of the book of Mark is because of Peter's influence in his life. Okay, so they're all up in, in Antioch, and I'm on page 8 here, and um, picking up in Acts 13... When they were there in Antioch, the Holy Spirit revealed that he wanted Barnabas and Paul to go out and do the work that he had called them to do. And they knew what that work was. Uh, they, they were kind of preparing for it right there in Antioch. But um, it was, a, met, it was a, a work of not only proclaiming the gospel, but establishing, planting new churches. And so they took John Mark with them. So you see on the map here the, the somewhat short uh, trip that they had. They first sailed from Antioch, which is right on the shore, or near the shore of the Mediterranean, uh, and went to Cyprus. It turns out that's where Barnabas was from. So he knew the area well, and I think John Mark was from there as well, if I'm not mistaken. After Cyprus, and there was some... some um, proclamation of the gospel, some inroads there and, and, and success. Uh, they went north, sailed from Cyprus to um, the southern, what is now the southern coast of Turkey, to a place called Perga in the Pamphylia uh, district. 
and then moves on to another Antioch. And this gets somewhat confusing. There is a Syrian Antioch where they started from, and now there's a what's called Pisidian Antioch in the region of Pisidia. And that actually is in what was called the Galatia. It was one of the, the towns in uh, Galatia. Um, and from there, they went to Iconium, also while they were still in Galatia. And again, as was typical of the case, both Jews and Gentiles believed. Uh, they also went to Lyconia, Lystra, and Derby, also in that Galatian region. And so uh, much of his first missionary journey was in Galatia. And those earliest, some of the earliest churches from his ministry were in the Galatian uh, region. And uh, they basically retraced their steps to go back and then um, returned, not through Cyprus, but every, everywhere else they kind of retraced their steps and ended back in Antioch. And it says in Acts 14, um, and they spent a long time with the disciples there in Antioch. So Antioch was something like, a, basically it was a ascending church for these very early missionaries. And they came back to report what God had done and were strengthened and encouraging one another and, and so on. Well, and here's something that's very significant for the, the book of Galatians. <clears throat> In Acts 15, we get the account of uh, the Jerusalem Council, the first Jerusalem Council. Yeah, I don't have it here, but uh, right at the beginning of, of Acts 15, it mentioned that some Jewish Christians presumably Christians, from Judea, uh, arrived in Antioch teaching that the Gentiles must be circumcised according to the customs of Moses in order to be saved. So what are they saying? They're, they're, they're continuing this presumption that Gentiles, it's good for Gentiles to get saved, but they need to become, the path to salvation is through Judaism. You have to be a Jew in order to uh, become a Christian. And so the label that's been put on them, that, that philosophy, that presumption, is Judaizer. Right? So they're, they're trying to make Jews out of people in order to allow them and help them to become Christians. So their, their intent was okay, but their theology was messed up. Right? Um, and so these people came up to Antioch. Antioch was, I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that next to Jerusalem and other possible churches within Israel, Antioch would have been um, one of the larger churches in the new church age at this point. And it was particularly notable that it was made up of both Gentiles and Jews. And so these people came up there spouting this uh, philosophy. And Paul and Barnabas were going to have nothing of that. 
they disagreed strongly with them, and you can read the account in uh, Acts 15. Um, and so what came of that was they decided it would be best for Paul, Barnabas, and some others to go up to Jerusalem to settle this once and for all with the, the other apostles and, and the church leaders in Jerusalem. And that's what they did. Um, and even when they were in Jerusalem, some uh, believing Pharisees argued, according to Acts 15, that it's necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses in order for them, either in order for them to be saved or in order for them to show that they're saved. It wasn't exactly sure, um, clear what their thinking really was, but it didn't really matter what the distinction was because um, Paul and Barnabas, and then later, as we see, uh, Peter and, and the other apostles agreed that that was just not good theology. Um, Peter himself got up and said, God, who knows the heart, um, testified to them giving the Holy Spirit. He's referring to when he met with Cornelius and his family, and they they. Peter knew for sure that the same thing that happened to them on Pentecost happened to Cornelius. It was obvious that God was giving them the Holy Spirit. There was genuine salvation there. Um, and God needed to show him that in order to, make, to get his theology right and not just base it on assumptions. Um, and that... Uh, giving them the Holy Spirit just also as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, Jews and Gentiles, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, Peter says to the assembled group at the Jerusalem Council, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? That's a good question, right? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they also are. So the upshot of that was that uh, Peter gave his testimony, Paul gave his testimony of what God was doing among the Gentiles, and um, uh, James, now this is not the James who was martyred, this is James the Lord's brother, um, who had by this time become leader of the church in, in uh, Jerusalem, or at least the chief spokesman among the leaders in the church there. Um, he also agreed, suggesting that the Gentiles be advised to refrain from religious practicing, practices that would offend devout Jews, uh, but that's, those are not requirements for salvation. They're just um, helpful um, lifestyle things so as not to become a stumbling block to, to devout Jews. The council agreed, and so they sent uh, Judas Barsabbas and Silas back with Paul and Barnabas to convey the message to the churches in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. And so Silas teams up with, with Paul uh, at that point. So that 
is very key for the book of Galatians because the book of Galatians is about one thing, basically one thing. It's about answering the Judaizers. Um, and it, it springs out of, out of the, the message that um, the Jerusalem Council says need to, the, the sound doctrine about salvation that needs to be spread among both the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, and the book of Galatians is written to address that very point. And um, so it's good background. Well, you know about his second and third missionary journeys. Um, I don't need to go into as much detail here, but he... Um, it says in the bottom of our page 9 here, after some days Paul said to Silas, uh, Barnabas, let's return and visit uh, the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So he wanted to, you know, he had a pastor's heart. He wanted to uh, encourage the new believers, help them in their, in their Christian walks and help to solidify the churches there. Um, but in the process of doing that, uh, they reached out to other places as well. So they started by going back to some of the places they were earlier uh, and then continued on to what was then, or what is now Greece. Um, and um, spent a lot of time in places like um, uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, right? Before heading back to Asia. Asia here is what was called, what Turkey was called, basically. East, uh, Western Turkey was called at that time. Um, you see references often to Asia in, um, in Acts and other, other books. Um, it's referring just to that Western part of what is now Turkey. Um, so that was the second missionary journey, and he, there he ended up in um, Jerusalem and then back to Antioch, his sending church. Um, later, he sought, <clears throat> for similar reasons, to go back and, and uh, visit some of the places where they had established churches to establish even more, and that was his third and final missionary journey okay anything about the history so far any questions there it's important because of the focus of the book of Galatians it's all about um, getting at this false theology of the Judaizers um, and so that was it was an issue already and Paul wrote Galatians to make it very clear, particularly to some of these churches that he found he uh, planted early on, they were slipping into that Judaizing kind of mindset, and he had to uh, write the book of Galatians to those various churches in the Galatian region that um, um, that's just bad theology. Okay. So, we answer that, and that was all about who wrote the book, 
right? What about who was it written to? We've touched on that a little bit. Um, he makes reference in the book that he's writing to the Galatians. That's not a town, it's a region. And so these various churches that he helped to plant and other, other uh, cities and, and so on were in this region called Galatia. Um, now it turns out that that Galatian region had two somewhat distinct geographic regions within it. There was the Roman province generally, but there was also an ethnic Galatia within that, which was um, um, sort of an enclave. And I'm not exactly sure which towns were where, except that um, it seems that the churches he's writing to here in the book of Galatians, um, not in the ethnic Galatia, but that's maybe a, a fine point. Uh, it is clear, as we'll see as we get into um, what Paul wrote in the book of Galatians, that these people were very uh, dear to him. Uh, he, he, he wasn't just writing something for people he didn't really know. Uh, he knew these people. He had gone there several times. Um, um, he, it's possible he had written to them even earlier than this, but... Um, he makes several references here, we see on the bottom of page 12, to his personal interaction with them. And the book of Galatians is to build on that and to correct errors in their thinking so that uh, they could grow. So it seems evident that, that um, Paul must have written the book of Galatians after the Jerusalem Council, uh, and certainly after his first missionary journey, possibly somewhere between his first and second, or maybe even between his second and his third journeys. But in any case, um, he's writing to dear friends, trying to correct them. And so because we're not entirely clear when he wrote it, and there's not a lot of hints about where he was, unlike other books, he refers to where he was at the time, not so much with this book. So um, we don't know where he was when he, wrote, when he wrote it. But it doesn't appear to be all that important. What's important is what he wrote. Some, maybe you've heard, sometimes people refer to the book of Galatians as the Little Romans. Why would they call it Little Romans? Because Romans, of course, is a much longer sort of systematic theology. It tries to set the record straight on what, what salvation is, what it's not. It's, it's a, 
extended treatment of that. And Galatians um, doesn't cover that wide range of topics, but it zeroes in on the tr- nature of the true gospel. And um, some of the points that he makes in Galatians, he makes also in Romans. But this one is specifically written with this, this um, uh, heretical error in mind, the error of uh, the Judaizers. So uh, you get a lot of um, uh, statements in the book of Galatians about... Um, Salvation, justification is by faith, not by the works of the law. Very central to the nature of the gospel. Um, and in that, he's echoing Romans a lot. Um, but it's, it's re- really critical for uh, Paul and for the gospel that the gospel not be mixed with other things, particularly not mixed with a requirement for uh, keeping the law, or really any works. Um, But salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So it's a good reminder to us, and um, I think you'll find it interesting. Yes? Yeah, um... From what I found out, Galatians was written around 49 A.D., and Paul was around 30 years old when he uh, was converted. That sounds about right. So he was somewhat young, but he was well-educated and well-established by the time God gripped him. And his zeal before his conversion was kind of typical of someone who's who's young and dedicated to the cause, right? Right. Galatians is all about the purity of the gospel. Definitely. Uh, not just the purity of the gospel, but the implications of the purity of the gospel. Well, I have a uh, overview on page 14 of your notes if that's helpful to you, to kind of see the different sections, um, flow of thought, at least one way to summarize them. And um, we will go through those starting next week. We'll pick up on this page. We'll start on page 15. 14 is just kind of a a reference for you if if it's helpful. Uh, but we'll start with lesson two on page 15 oh, okay. next week. Well, he had three. Yeah, and so the third one um, is on page 11. He ended up in Jerusalem. He got arrested. And then he... Um, so at that point, it's not really considered, I guess, usually his journeys. But he did journey with under arrest. Um, on his way to Rome to face um, trial there and and to appeal to Caesar. Um, But 
that all started at the end of his third missionary journey. Okay, well, let's go ahead and close in prayer.